Let's turn to Isaiah 35 tonight. I want to share some things here. Isaiah, we'll see how long my voice lasts here tonight. But Isaiah, we know he was a great prophet. And Isaiah prophesied about the northern kingdom and he, of Israel. Remember after Solomon passed away that the kingdom was divided and ten of the tribes went, were in the northern area of Palestine and they were called Israel and then Judah and Benjamin were in the southern part. They were called Judah. And so he prophesied and he saw the Assyrians come in and take the northern kingdom into Assyria captive. And so that's the setting here. Uh, And then the southern kingdom was still, like for another 150 years or so, whatever it was, was still there but they were moving in sin and wickedness. And so the Lord had Isaiah prophesy pertaining to the southern kingdom. So at this point, he doesn't see the southern kingdom. He doesn't see Babylon come in, but he knows that Babylon is going to come in and invade Jerusalem and take them captive to Babylon. So this is the setting for Isaiah 35. And I want to read some of these verses, maybe six or seven of them, and look at them related to the context, and then look at them related to how they relate to us today. Because, you know, Babylon doesn't relate to us today as far as this context. And many times in the Bible, we will take a verse and we'll read maybe three or four verses or maybe something from Jeremiah, and we'll relate that to us today. But sometimes it's very beneficial to see the context of the scripture, because the context can reveal certain things also that we would not see otherwise. So in verse 1, he says here, the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. So the wilderness here and the wasteland typify what's going to happen to Judah. Because of their sin, because of their idolatry, because they're not walking with God, they're walking in their own flesh, they're walking in their own desire, they're not interested in God for the most part. And so their land is going to become a wasteland and a desert place because the Babylonians are going to come in and take them out of the land, carry them back to Babylon, and that's what, what the land is going to just experience, something that the occupants are going to be gone. So he says this, he prophesies this. He says that the, the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. And he goes on here. So in chapter 32, hold your place there, the state at which Judah is going to come to, 
Now, this has already happened to Israel, the northern kingdom. But the state that they're going to come to was never seen nor realized by all the different kings that they had because they only had a handful of kings that were godly. And it wasn't realized by the people because the people continued in their idolatry. The the people continued in their own self-will, what made them happy in their life, what they wanted to do, uh, what they decided religion for them meant. And they continued on in their sin. And see, when a nation continues on in sin, eventually God will judge. And so Isaiah sees this. You know, Jeremiah looks and he receives these prophecies and he sees what's coming down the road as far as this nation is concerned, Judah. And also other prophets, same thing. They saw things coming and they, they tried to warn the people and warn the people and tell the people. But see, when the heart becomes set, sometimes God, even with Jeremiah, who was quite a prophet, even with the Spirit of God that was upon Isaiah and Ezekiel, you know, I see the Lord high and lifted up. You know, even with the intensity of the Spirit of God upon them, the hearts of the people here were so hardened that the Lord could not get through to them. The Spirit of God could not break that hardened shell. The Lord could not do what he wanted to do in the lives of the, of the people and with the nation. And so in chapter 32, verse 14, because the palaces will be forsaken, the bustling city will be deserted. The forts and towers will become lairs forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. So there's going to be a devastation in the land. The land that once was fruitful, the land once was promised to them, the land once that Joshua took them into to possess, now because of their sin, that which was the promise of God, that which was given to them, that which they received, that which they enjoyed, now because of their sin, and because they have an adamant heart toward the Lord, that's going to be taken away. It's going to be, you know, a desert. It's going to not sustain life anymore, their life. They're going to be gone. So in chapter 35 again, or let's just go back here. Let's go to chapter 34 for a second. Because these, these chapters here go in succession where, you know, different things are talked about, but it's related to this coming disaster, the, the Babylonian army. In verse 13 of chapter 34, the, the thorns shall come up in its palaces, nettles and brambles in its fortresses. It shall be a habitation of jackals, a courtyard for ostriches. So the picture here that Isaiah is, is painting isn't too rosy. 
Jeremiah prophesied, and when Jeremiah prophesied, one of the reasons why they didn't believe him is because what he was prophesying wasn't too pleasant. They went to the false prophets. They heard the false prophets because the false prophets were saying things they wanted to hear. And being a Christian for some years, I said, always said to the Lord, I said, Lord, help me to hear even the things from you that I don't want to hear even the things that might not be so pleasant. And the Lord has shown me things based upon you know, where I was related to me in my life where you know, I'm not the perfect person and the Lord points it out. You know, can I receive a correction? You know, I'm here, the Lord wants me over here. Can I receive correction? You know, that is very critical for us as Christians See, the Lord doesn't correct us because he hates us or doesn't like us. It's quite the opposite. He correct, corrects us just like we correct children because we love them. And so the heart of Judah, now, of course, you have to understand there's always a remnant. Well, you know, even though if you go through all the minor prophets and all the major prophets, and they're, they, they're predicting judgment, 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 judgment. And it does come, but there's always a remnant, a small amount of those there who don't go with the main flow of the, of the crowd. So their, their interest is the Lord. Their interest is hearing him. Their interest is, okay, Lord, whatever you say is fine. Have you said that to the Lord? Whatever you say is fine. Whatever you say is fine. And I've had the Lord say some things to me over the years that I thought, that's not fine. I don't like that. I mean, I, don't, I might not have voiced that, but the Lord knows the heart, you see. But nevertheless, like Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. If we can walk that way and have that heart, we can progress. But anyway, going back to uh, Isaiah 35, verse 2. Now, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice. So Isaiah here is going to say something. He's going to talk about the glory or he's going to mention the glory of God and the excellency of God. Now, I don't want to digress too far here, but when Isaiah says and mentions the glory of God, he is saying something that people in general, those that he's ministering to, don't know or see. He has seen the glory of God. And I personally believe that if we as Christians catch a glimpse of the glory of God. And however that may be, it may be maybe in a song service or maybe as you read or maybe you know you're in your private time with the Lord, you know whatever. If we can really catch a glimpse of the glory of God, I believe we'll be changed. We'll be changed. Our eyes, you know the, the one song that says 
that the things of this life grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so Isaiah says this, verse 2, It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. So he's talking about this, this coming time, this coming glory, you see. Verse 3, strengthen the hands, uh, the weak hands, and make uh, feeble, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear, behold, your God will come with vengeance with the recompense of God will he come and save you. Or the recompense, the dealing of his hand, he's going to come. And when Isaiah is prophesying these, and as we go on here, you'll see that this is speaking of the gospel age, or better yet, say it this way, it's speaking of when Jesus Christ is coming, when he's coming not the second time, but when he came, Isaiah is seeing him coming when he came to earth the first time and the glory of God is going to come upon the Israel, the, the whole land of Israel and they are going to see the glory of God. Verse 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. See, that's talking about the Lord. And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness. In verse 6, in Luke, it says this, that the blind, whenever uh, the, uh, John the Baptist, he sends his disciples to Jesus, and they ask Jesus, John wants to know, are you the one, are you the Messiah, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answers and says this, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. So Jesus here gives this message and they go back and they tell him, yes, he is the one, he is the Messiah. So in verse 5, Isaiah prophesies of that time when this would occur, the glory of God being revealed in Israel then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness. So Israel, at the time of Jesus, and I'm going to get a little ahead of myself, but that's okay. At the time of Jesus, they had been in a wilderness. Now, remember, if you would go back to Malachi, the last two verses at the end of the Old Testament prophesy or, or tell of the coming of John the Baptist. But there's 400 years from that point to where Jesus comes and, you know, he starts his ministry. 400 years. And in those 400 years... The Jews did not hear from God. 
There, there was nothing there. You know, there wasn't a voice. There wasn't a prophet. You know, there wasn't anyone proclaiming the glory of the Lord for 400 years. How would you like to live at that time? And so now Jesus comes, and he comes to a wilderness they have not heard. They have, they're ripe to hear, which is really odd because they're ripe to hear, but yet the religious leaders can't hear. And the woman, is it the woman at the well? He says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And here it says in verse 6, the latter part, for water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And that took place, and that's not the only time, of course, but that did take place whenever Jesus came and started to, to preach the gospel message. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land uh, springs of water, and so on and so forth. And then in verse 8, a highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. And by the way, the context of this, the context of that verse is meaning that God is going to make a way for his people in Babylon, he's going to make a highway back to the land they were taken from. And we know that took place uh, under, uh, was it the Medo-Persian Empire, where you had uh, Ezra and Nehemiah are allowed to go back and begin to build the wall and be, build the city again, Jerusalem. So, so he's going to make this highway back. That's the context. Now, let's go back to verse 1 again. And there's another view here I want to, want to show you. Verse 1, the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom. Man's heart has become a wilderness. Man's heart has become a wasteland. And all you need to do is look out into the world and look at some of these people in their lives, and you will see a parched desert, and you will see a wasteland where people are ruining their, their lives on drugs and alcohol and pornography and a bunch of other things. A, a total wasteland. And that so, is so apparent today, you, it's like you can't miss it. You know, you look out and you see people, maybe people in your neighborhood, maybe people you work with, maybe people you know, maybe some relatives. And you see the ruin and devastation in their life. And there is a wilderness and there is a wasteland. But that wilderness and that wasteland can be changed. And it can, as it says here, it, it shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom. The desert in people can blossom. 
See, whenever you had the gospel preached to you, when I had the gospel preached to me, inside, you know, nobody saw my inside, my spirit. But I was dry. You know, I was like a desert. My life was, uh, I mean, I had a good home and, a, uh, you know, all that. But yet there was no satisfaction. I was, was miserable about things in my life. You know how we get, you know, don't like this and, and it's just you stay on that and you look at that and it, it makes you miserable or can make people mean or whatever. And so I was like that. I, there was a desert there in my spirit, dry, no satisfaction. And one day, the gospel was preached. And when the gospel was preached, I grew up in a church. Went to church every day but Saturday. It's kind of crazy. But that's what we did. Grew up in the church. But when I heard these words, I knew there was something different. And, you know, his word is life, it's water, out of his belly, spirit flows rivers of living water, and so the gospel was preached, and the living water was coming, and I knew it was different because of the parched desert in me that now was soaking up this water, I didn't understand anything. I couldn't even look up a scripture. That's how pathetic I was, how pathetic. I looked back and said, I couldn't even look. It was on a piece of paper. I couldn't even look it up. <laughs> I looked it up wrong. Verse 2, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice. And see, that is a picture of what takes place in the heart of those who respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this, this, there's a dual thing here. This, this is meaning here, uh, and, and we'll get to this in a few minutes. This is meaning, uh, and it's talking about Jesus when he came with the gospel, you see, the context. But it also is meaning you. Because you carry the gospel. You carry the word of God. And it's amazing to me to think, as we prayed a little earlier, that we carry the words of life. And, you know, we are to speak it. You know that, right? We are to speak. And whenever we speak to someone... We are allowing this, this water, this river, to come out to the parched wilderness, the parched desert, the parched ground, so that something in that person's heart and life can begin to grow. Out of my belly shall flow rivers of living water. Well, that doesn't just mean Jesus. So it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice. Do you remember whenever you first came to the Lord and how you rejoiced? It was the greatest thing that ever happened to you. Well, it was for me. It still is. 
shall blossom abundantly, even with joy and singing. And in verse 2, the latter part says, and they shall see the glory of the Lord. Now, when Jesus first came and, and walked, you know, in Palestine, and, you know, walked in the different cities, you know, here, here was the glory of God contained in this body, Jesus. And the glory of God, Isaiah said, you know, would be brought, that would, that would come. But how many saw the glory of God in Jesus? You know, how many people did Jesus preach to? You know, thousands upon thousands. I mean, I don't know how many, but there were thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands of people. And how many saw the glory of God? Well, you know, when Jesus started to teach sometimes, they said, well, you know, listen to him. He teaches with great authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. So they knew and recognized that something was different about Jesus. Something's different about him. But yet, many of them did not understand nor perceive the glory. They saw miracle after miracle, you know, the deaf speak, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Well, they saw that and they rejoiced. The children of Israel, it says in, in uh, Psalms, they saw the acts of God but they never knew the ways of God. And so here you have thousands of people. Jesus healed here, here and there, everywhere he went. He was healing people. But yet, I mean, they, they, that contains the glory to a degree, but they didn't see the glory in Jesus. See, the apostles were different. The followers were different because, I mean, they saw the same miracles, but yet, they knew in, in Jesus there was something that they didn't have. There was something there. And whenever he takes Peter, James, and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's transformed before them, it's like, wow, look at that. Look at that. The glory contained in Christ masked in the shell of the body just like it is here, not seen by the people, but he showed that to his disciples, three of them. See, the glory of God, as I said earlier, is very important. We should pray, Lord, show us your glory. If you see the glory of God, it will change you. And it will make you a different person, not just for you, but it will make you a different person in such a way that you will want to touch other lives. You will want to bring the gospel to them. You will want to see them changed. See, each one of you here have been touched by the Lord. Each one of you has the Spirit of God dwelling in them. Can you imagine that? The Spirit of God's dwelling in us. And, you know, you sense that and you, you feel him in you, maybe when you're, when you're reading in your devotion time or 
during a song service or whatever. And, and you sense that. You know, sometimes I think, Lord, people don't know. They don't know. And I, I pray, I said, Lord, if you can use me, whatever way, it's fine. Not just teaching, although that's what the Lord has given me to do. But that's not the end of it. I want to be used to touch people's lives outside of this church, outside of this church. And whenever we recently went to this funeral and there was an altar call, I, I knew it before I went. The Lord prepared me and I took my Bible. And when I walked in with my Bible, that one guy that was there was giving me the eye like, are you the preacher? <laughs> are you doing the service here? And he was just looking at me. But I, I knew the Lord was going to do something. And to be involved with that, to lead people to Christ right in front of a casket is marvelous. And to pray with people whose lives are destroyed. The one fella was a drug addict, and the Lord had me ask him, are you on drugs? And I, he was like shocked. He looked at me. I said, do you know what just happened? I said, you just accepted Christ. Do you know what that? He said, yes, I understand. I said, you know what that means? I said, are you an addict? And he kind of paused. He said, well, I've been clean for four months. That's not very long. Heroin they're talking about. And so the Lord gave me something to give him from the scriptures. So it's not just here, you see. Now, it says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. That's true. We shouldn't. Uh, you know, everyone has something to give. But see, the church many times, and I'm not just saying this church, but the churches in general they want to keep things in the four walls, and when they leave and they go home and they're out amongst other people, you know, they're afraid to speak. They're afraid to, to you know, give the gospel. They're, they're afraid to talk. Uh, you know, <clears throat> that's not to say that you have to say things all the time, but when the, the Lord opens the door, and, you know, the Lord can open a door for you. When he opens the door, Speak. If you don't know what to speak, and you don't know how to witness, you see me later, and I'll, I'll, I'll show you some things. I'll, I'll, I'll teach you something, because the Lord showed me something years ago, and, and showed me, this is what I want you to do, and I did that, and I, I couldn't believe how, how it's, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. We're afraid to be rejected. But getting back to Isaiah 35 here. So the wasteland is... All among us, these people, you know, their hearts, their lives, it's, it's, it's a, people are a mess. They're a mess. You know, we don't really know. We're insulated. When you're in a church, you know, we know there's, there's people here, unless God brings them in, which he has brought drug addicts in here and, and brought people off the street. But for the most part, you know, we and now some of our children are insulated from a lot of what goes on. And it's not until you start to brush shoulders with people in the world 
and gain some confidence, you know, they gain some confidence in you that you're not going to condemn them, they might start to open up to you and share things. You know, why? Why do you think they're opening up and sharing things with you? Well, there's probably a reason for it. They're looking for something. Maybe looking for a shoulder, that's what they're thinking. But the shoulder they're really needing isn't you or me, it's the Lord. So in verse 3, it says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Hold your place there and go to Hebrews. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Now, the context here, he's, you know, the book of Hebrews is speaking to the church. And the context here is the Lord chastising or the Lord bringing correction. So in order for, and I'll speak of myself, in order for me to have my knees, my feet, my, my, my legs strengthened, the feeble knees and the hands that, that hang down, for them to be strengthened, it's going to take the Lord bringing correction to me if I need it, if I need it. See, the, the purpose of that, of the correction, is to get us off of the side area here where we're deviating and get us back in, in the way where we're walking with God the way we should, see, so the correction comes. See, we're over here, and we're away from where we should be, and we become feeble, spiritually speaking. Our, our arms hang down, and our, our knees are not strengthened, so we can't walk with God because our knees, uh, you know, they've lost their strength. You know, we can't handle the things of God because our hands are hanging down. So the Lord comes and and he shows you maybe, or shows me, okay, this is why you're over here. This is the correction. This is how you, you get out from this point here and get back into the, to the way where I am. And so when I receive the correction now, then I am brought back into the place where I am walking with God and I am strengthened. See, now I am, I'm walking with him and I don't need the correction, if you understand what I'm saying, because now I'm, I'm walking with him. So I, Isaiah says this because it's going to take a strengthening of God in our lives to bring forth the gospel if we want to be Christ-like, if we want to be like Jesus. And, and I do. See, so, so, you know, teaching, preaching is not just from the pulpit. 
Sharing the gospel is not just from here. It's not just in a classroom setting. Sharing the gospel is from your heart to another heart that is in need. And that can be at work. It can be anywhere. And, you know, the Lord will use you. And in order to use you, he'll strengthen you. Because there will be times when you'll say something to someone and it will be the leading of the Lord and they're not going to receive it. So if you're not strengthened and I'm not strengthened, then how will we be able to to walk in the way and minister the gospel uh, the way he desires for us to do that? And uh, I, I was thinking that maybe some years ago I might not have been so willing to go up front at a funeral you know you know what funerals are like it's, it's i mean that's not the the place you if somebody if somebody's ministering it's not the place you go and if there's a body up front most everybody wants to be as far away as they they can get and so in order to minister to people in order to give them this gospel message, we must be strengthened, as Paul even prays, to be strengthened by might in the inner man. See? So that when the opportunity presents itself, that we're not afraid and we're not ashamed. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe. So there is to be this power of God, see? But it, this is just not just words I'm talking about. You know, the glory of God is just not words. Uh, ministering the gospel is just not words. See, it's to find its uh, purpose and outlet through us. Through us. John 1, well, 1 John 1. Just a couple verses. So he strengthens the feeble knees. And he wants to strengthen or lift up the hands that hang down. See, if the hands hang down... For example, now let's say, Jim, you would ask me to come and help you on a job. I'm not saying to ask me. I'm just saying, if you would. <laughs> and I would go on the job. And, okay, now we're going to build a shed. So there's the hammer. And so my hands are hanging down. Now, I can't do any work. I can't build if my hands stay in this position. I must be able to, to grab the hammer, lift my hand, I mean, this is all elementary, right? And, and swing it to nail a board. So there is to be, and the Lord has ordained it this way, a strengthening of the hands, spiritually speaking, so that we can handle certain things 
of, of the Spirit or in spirit. John in the epistle, listen to what he says in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. And that just didn't mean touching Jesus. He's talking about something different here. That our hands have, have held. And so, the Lord, if you're faithful to him, and, and if you are faithful to him, you will find out that maybe 15, 20, 25 years from now, uh, he will put something or, or place something into your hand that you did not have in your hand before. And you will be handling something of, of the word of life that you didn't handle before. And, and you'll, you'll just be okay with it. You'll be able to function in it because he has worked in your life and he has strengthened you. And the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you this eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest unto us. So, so John here uh, it, saying that, that they handled certain things. Not just was, was committed to them, you know, to go to this church or that, but there was, from in spirit, something given to them by the Lord that they had to handle. And to handle that, they had to be strengthened. Their hands or arms had to be strengthened. Okay, let's go back to um, Isaiah 35. Verse 4, say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. And that's really something because that happened when we were at this funeral. A woman came up and she wanted me to pray for her. And <clears throat> the one woman wasn't saved and she came to the Lord. And a, a man who was a... Uh, recovering drug addict or whatever, he came to the Lord. And then a young fella came over, and he, he was 16 years old, and he was this very handsome guy with a real nice suit, real nice tie, and his tie was being drenched by his tears. And it, it, was, it was really, really good. I, I prayed for him and talked with him. And... The one woman said to me, you're pertaining to this, this verse, deal, dealing with, say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. And she was sharing with me her, one of her main problems in her life. And the Lord you know, gave me something and I prayed for her. And it was just a wonderful thing to be involved with someone else, if you understand what I'm saying, to help someone. You know, I, I like to teach, not always, but <laughs> the Lord has put that before me to do. 
But there's nothing like sharing the gospel with someone, someone that doesn't know it. With someone who is on drugs and, and telling them that you know, God can deliver you from those drugs today. There's nothing like helping someone who has hit the bottom and you're able to share something because the Lord has given you something to give the person. Not, it wasn't me. It was the Spirit of the Lord giving me something to give them. You know, do not fear because the Lord is going to meet you today. <laughs> what a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. See, we should be uh, praying for the Lord to open up doors for us with people. Now, I'll share this with you. My mother's 95. And as long as I can remember, my mother always would pray. She gets up and she says, okay, Lord, who are you going to send me to today? I'm going to Walmart. She goes to Giant Eagle, wherever. And I'll tell you, the Lord, because she says that, and, and she's willing to speak up and willing to share the gospel, the Lord has used her to lead hundreds of people to the Lord. She'll go to Walmart, and she'll be witnessing to someone at the register. She'll go to Giant Eagle, and somebody will be complaining, and the cashier will be complaining. And she'll say, you know what? Have a blessed day. And she'll say, what? So let me tell you something. Why my life is blessed. And she shares the gospel. And see, that's not hard to do. You don't have to be a, a Christian for 30 years to share the gospel. You can, you can do it. And as I said, if you want, it, you want me to show you and give you some scriptures, very simple. Some basic things, maybe some of you young, young ones, and, and I'll show you what you should do and how easy it is to share the gospel so that the Lord can use you. Because I don't think that we have seen the end of things here. You know, things aren't getting better in society. Things aren't getting better in neighborhoods. <laughs> Now, people are broken, people are hurting, people are in trouble. And the only way out, the only way to change that life may be through you. And I remember one time I was at work and the Lord was prompting me to go over to this man, and he was, he was waiting on people and uh, you know, writing, writing up parts he was you know, giving out. And uh, I said to the guy, I don't remember exactly, but I started to share with him what the Lord did and, and about the gospel. And he looked at me. You know how they sometimes people look at you and think you're a little, whoop, <laughs> a little out there. But, but I didn't care. So I shared with him. And we were too busy. I said, would you like me to uh, share with you later? He says, how about meeting me before work tomorrow? I said, okay. So I met him before work, half hour before work, brought my Bible, and shared the gospel with him. And he was crying and crying and crying. 
And you know, you know, the Lord was touching his heart. I was just, oh, wow. <laughs> Not like I was a pretty young Christian at the time. I said, wow. And he says, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. I said, I don't know what. He's just going on and on. You don't know, you don't know, you don't know, you don't understand. I said, what? He said, yesterday before you talked to me, he says, I had already planned. He was married, had two kids. He said, I already planned when I left work, I was going to drive across the McKees Rocks Bridge, park my car, and jump over the bridge. He says, I had enough of life. I says, oh, my gosh. What if I didn't say something to the guy? I, I was like, oh, my dear. It was very sobering for me. And I never forgot that. And so, see, one thing you say to someone might be the thing that snatches them from the jaws of hell. You don't know. And, you know, here we are sometimes. And, I mean, I, I, I love coming to church and all that. And it's good. But, see, the gospel cannot stop here. It must go forth whenever you do. You know, you must take that with you and give that. Now, they called me when I was a younger Christian, they called me a lapel grabber. <laughs> and I learned from that. I learned that, that you need to wait for the Lord to open the door. See, you can't just barge in. I mean, there's, there's people in my family that I waited for a long time. Uh, my mother waited for, she had nine brothers and sisters. And she waited, she told them about the Lord, said, I don't want to hear it. And waited and waited and waited for some of them for 25 years. Until they said, hey, we want to, I want to know. My one uncle was dying. I want to know. And he came to the Lord. So, so you have to wait, but see, the Lord will open doors for us, I believe. You can't just go on, you know, at work and jump up on the table and start preaching the gospel. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about being ignorant. I'm not talking about getting in someone's face. I'm talking about being led by the Spirit and wanting to touch people's lives, whoever the Lord brings. As we prayed this this evening, she had that desire. She had that desire. Verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And he goes on. The lame shall uh, leap as a deer. Verse 6, the latter part. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool. See, see that, that can happen. See, Jesus did that. See, but that can happen through you. The parched ground can become a pool. See, how many people here know other people? <laughs> oh, yeah, we all know someone. So you know some people. And you know, I don't know the people you know. I don't know. But you know them. So who's God going to use, maybe, to reach some of them? Maybe you. Not me. I don't know them. I work with people, and I started a new job 
over the last couple years, and I prayed, and I said, Lord, there is no opening here at this particular time to minister the gospel to people. Now, I've said a few things to some people, but I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the opportunity. I'm waiting till uh, the time is right. And I'm believing God that he's going to help me speak what needs to be spoken. Because people are devastated. And I, I, I don't know, I get this sense that we're just on the verge of seeing devastation like we've never seen in this country. I mean, I might be wrong, but even put that aside. You know, just look at some families. They're, they're a mess, a mess, a mess. And the only way to reach them is by you and I walking with the Lord, by you and I, you know, having this right relationship and wanting to walk with him and please God. If we have that, then the Lord can use us. You know, he doesn't want to use you if, if you're telling somebody, well, you know what, the Bible says, and they say, well, what about living? You know, are we supposed to be living together if we're not married? Well, the Lord doesn't want you to, to, to witness to them about not living together if you're committing adultery. You see? So you have to get your, your life straight so that when, when you speak, your words have some weight. And the way they have weight is that you are walking what you are saying. See? Not, you know, saying one thing and doing another. You tell your kids, well, you know, do as I say, not as I do. No, 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 no. No, you, you be the example to them. See, that we can understand being an example to our children, I hope. But see, we need to be an example to other people. And I believe that, that most of you here, if not all of you, you know, desire that and you know, want to please God and have you know, walked in your life in a way to please God. Well, th the only thing left now is for God to start using you. Well, I don't come in contact with anybody. I'm at home. All no, no. You'll see. You go out to shop, don't you? Well, I'm too busy shopping. I can't. Oh, Really? Are you too attuned at the sale price or the hearts around you that the Lord might decide, well, maybe I want to use you to touch? Now, the opportunity might not be there all the time, but what I'm saying is that be alert when the opportunity does present itself because it's a wonderful thing. I mean, it's wonderful. I, I love coming up front here and, and when people come up that don't know the Lord and leading them to the Lord. I mean, it's just, it's a wonderful thing. It really is. And trying to get them to, you know, get started in the right way, in the right path. It's just, it's great. And you have such a satisfaction that the Lord, the Lord could use you. <laughs> he can. But, you know, you feel like you're this, teeny little ant in the scheme of things. But yet, the Lord's going to 
use you to lead someone to Christ or to help someone that's on drugs or to touch someone who is fearful or to minister to someone who is really, really having a difficult time. Maybe they're just totally, just, you know, they can't go any further in life and they want to commit suicide. And you know that that's, that's more prevalent than we think. There are some people that think about it frequently. Some people do it, but some people think about it. And you might be surprised if you talk to someone that they, they've contemplated it because of the problems that they have. Okay, let's go to Isaiah 32. So just one more verse here in 35, verse 8. A highway shall be there and a road, and it shall be called the highway of what? Holiness. What does that mean? What, what are to be, or what is to be the characteristic in the heart of the one walking on that highway? Holiness. See, holiness is just not a word. It's a way of life. And it should be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it, it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. So you don't have to have all this theological knowledge. You don't have to know everything related to the Bible. All you need to do is have a heart that wants to follow God. You know? The fool means a, a thick-brained person or someone who's slow. So even if you're slow, that's okay. That doesn't, doesn't matter as far as the kingdom of God. It doesn't affect you as far as walking on this highway if you desire to. It doesn't matter. You're, it's not based on a person's intelligence. So whenever, uh, whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. So there is to be a walking with God in a certain place, in this, this place he calls this highway of holiness. Now, in Isaiah 32, now I'm trying to encourage you tonight. You understand? I don't like condemning anybody. I don't do it. I like to encourage people, to help people, and I see devastation all around. And I like to encourage the church, other Christians, to let the Lord help use you to help other people. See, let's not be self-centered all the time. Not that you are, but I'm just saying, you know, we can look at ourselves and our lives all the time and, and to the neglect of other people. Verse 13. On the land of my, excuse me, this is 32. Oh, okay, yes, okay. 
on the land of my, of my people will come up thorns and briars. This is what uh, uh, Isaiah was prophesying about the land. Yes, on all the happy homes in the joyous city, because the palaces will be forsaken, the bustling city will be deserted. And we read this before. The forts and towers will become layers forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. And this is the verse I didn't read before, and this is key. It says, this is the way it will be. Now remember, this, this had a literal fulfillment in the context with Isaiah and Israel, or Judah. Okay, now there's also, as we talked about, you have this desert, this dry, thirsty land called humanity, called uh, those who are in the world who don't know Christ. See, that's, that's the picture of their heart. That's the picture of their life. Now listen, verse 15, until, until, the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. It becomes a fruitful field. Wow, how does that happen? How does that happen? It's by the Spirit of God. And the fruitful field is counted as a force. force. It's talking about growth, you know? You, know, you go out to a field. I remember Linda and I, some years ago, went on the Montour Trail. And there was this one area out near Imperial, and there was, it was mainly a field, and it was, the grass was maybe a couple feet. And there, there weren't any trees. It was a, it was a larger area, maybe four or five acres. And when we went on the trail this year, and we went by that, now we're talking maybe 10 years, there, were, there was no field any longer. There were trees. And some of them were, were 20, 25, 30 feet high. So here, the fruitful field, see the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest. So, so there is this, this growth in the natural that we saw. And so by the Spirit of God coming upon a person, when they come to Christ, the Spirit of God now changes this desert place, this parched ground, this stony soil as we see in Mark 4. Now what occurs is there's a watering, there is a, a tilling, there is a change in the heart of the individual and over a period of time, as they walk with God, their life becomes like this. It's counted as a forest. There was a little bit of growth, a little bit of grass, then it got a little bit bigger, and then other things started to grow. And before you know it, trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. And to see someone who comes to Christ and walks with him, you know, 
and is consistent in their walk, and they, they really desire God, and they walk to please Him. And, and you can see that over a period of time, there's growth, and then there's more growth. And then, then they become like a tree, as it says, a tree of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Then shall, what's that verse? Then shall... Then shall we draw waters from the wells of salvation, and in that day shall we say, praise the Lord. Then shall we draw water out of the wells of salvation. What's the wells of salvation? You. You become a well because you have been drinking of the Spirit, drinking of that which the Lord Jesus Christ has given you to drink, and you drink that, and you drink it, and you drink it, and before you know, see, you, you become a well, a living well, and there you walk around, just like Jesus when he went out to the woman at the well. You know, she's relating to the, the, the water, the well, and here, standing before her, is a well of water, the water of Jesus Christ, the Father, the expression of the Father. And, and, she, and he's you know, relating certain things to her, and she's like, oh my goodness. And she starts to drink of that well. Well, see, it should be our desire that we would become wells of water. You say, well, I do want to become a well of water. Well, listen. Do you know that things are not automatic in the kingdom? You know, things just don't happen. Remember, Paul, Paul says in, <clears throat> I think it's Galatians, he says, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So there must be a sowing in the Spirit if we are to reap the things of the Spirit. There must be. So you want to be a well, that means you must sow to the Spirit. You can't sow to the flesh. You, you can't uh, be involved with the world and you know what I'm saying, you know, being involved with the world, being like the world, doing you know, what they do, and so on. And then expect, because you've accepted Christ, that you, know, you are going to grow and mature in some of the things you know, that the Lord desires. Well, you know, we have to walk with him. It's called a highway of holiness. And I think that this, this thought of holiness is now in, in the church is... Um, I don't want to say obsolete, but a lot of churches don't preach it. A lot of churches don't talk about holiness and living a holy life. They're talking about, you know, self-fulfillment and, you know, all these other things, you know, how to, how to be blessed. I'll tell you what, you walk with God, you'll be blessed, period, period. What's it say in, in Deuteronomy? It says that, that the blessing, if you keep these commandments, the different things he mentions, he says, 
that the blessing, and this is how I always picture it, that, okay, here's this Christian, he's walking, and he's, he's fulfilling the word of God. You know, he, he's doing what the Lord wants him to do. And it says that, that the blessing will come and will overtake you. So here comes the blessing behind you, and it's going to overtake you. So now you aren't just blessed. It's you become the blessing because it overtook you. It's, it's now it's, it's all around you. It's through you because why, why, why? Because you are walking in the way. You're walking on the highway of holiness. You're directing your life according to the Lord. And see, the Lord wants to use every single person here, I believe, in some way. And he wants to reach the world. We might, uh, you know, we might see things that we never thought we would see in this country. It's possible. And I have seen this 20 years ago. And I have taught it. I have taught that the storm clouds are coming. Not because I want to scare anybody. You know, it's just that we, see, regardless of what's coming on the world and in this country, our priority is to be walking with God and receiving the grace of God today for our lives. Because if you receive the grace of God today, you will have what you need tomorrow. But if you're going to go your own way and your own path, then when the things tomorrow come, you may not be ready for it, and you may be fearful. You may have all kinds of problems. And, you know, I'll stop with that. But, you know, the, the Lord... Wants us walking with him is the bottom line. Now, a few more things, then I'll let you go. It says here in verse 15. Is it verse 15 here? Yes. Until the, the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. So the purpose of the Spirit being poured on us is for salvation. And not, I don't mean just salvation initially, that's of course, that's true. But salvation that stretches your entire life. Now, do you know, maybe I can put it this way, I have a couple of scriptures, I'll just, I'll read them. So, salvation can be described uh, in this way. Past, present, and future. You see that in the scriptures. For example, when a person believes, uh, it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So you did that, all of you here did that in the past, right? You didn't just accept the Lord tonight. So the salvation, that part of salvation was, we can describe that as in the past, okay? Now in the present, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. This is 1 Corinthians 1.18. And this is how it reads in the New King James. 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And if we would go there, that phrase in English, being saved, is a present participle. That means it's presently. You are, you are saved. We are saved. But we are being saved. And that's called the, the, sanctifi the sanctification process. See? You are, you are sanctified. You're living a holy life. See, so that's, so that's past and present, and then here's future, Ephesians 1.10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together all in one the things in Christ, and that's the future. He's, he's, he's gathering now, but there, there comes a time in the future when Christ will gather all things together in him. And that part of salvation there. Is future. So, to, to bring that down to where we are today, God has saved us for various reasons, and, and we can start to, to list them. You know, we're being conformed to the image of Christ. You know, you know, we are to have the glory of God, you know, placed in us, as Paul said, in various places. But salvation also. And we've, we've taught that for years here, about the glory of God, you know, and so forth. But salvation also means you are saved, and the Spirit of God has been poured out upon you to bring salvation to others. Remember, Jesus told, and we'll close with this, Jesus told the disciples. He says, stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. So, okay. So they waited in the upper room, we know, and the Holy Spirit came. Now, after the Holy Spirit came, that very day, what did Peter do? Did, he, did they all stay in the upper room and that's it? We're not going to stay in here and just praise the Lord and wait on the Lord. That's it. We'll stay here for a week. No. People start saying, oh, they, they started mocking him because they, were, they heard speaking in different languages and what have you in, in tongues. And Peter begins to quote from the prophet Joel about the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And so he goes through this discourse, and it says at the end, 3,000 people came to the Lord at the end. See, so Peter was saved. Peter walked with Jesus. Peter was baptized in the Spirit. But see, that was all good, and we know the Lord was placing things into the heart of Peter. But yet, Peter still had a heart were the people, and he preached to them, and 3,000 got saved. And then a, a couple chapters after that, um, I don't remember the context of that, but he preaches again. I think it was, um, <clears throat> oh, I know what it was. <clears throat> they came by the man who, who was um, lame, and he's asked them for alms, and he says, Silver and gold, it was, it was Peter and John. 
Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the guy starts you know, jumping and leaping around. And, you know, there's a big stir. And Peter begins to share what Christ had done. He, he begins to share, probably from Isaiah, I don't know, uh, the scriptures and speak to them. And at that point, 5,000 come to Christ. Well, over 5,000. I think it says 5,000 men. So you have over 8,000 people come to Christ in a very short period of time. Why? Remember Peter, at one point, followed Jesus from afar off. He was afraid. He didn't want to say anything. They said, oh, oh, you're one of his disciples. No, I'm not. Oh, your speech you know, betrays you. And so he started swearing. Well, that didn't help either, because they knew. But see, later on, the Lord touched him, and he wasn't afraid to open his mouth. He wasn't afraid to say something. And because he wasn't afraid, over 8,000 people came to the Lord. Now, that may not be the case with us here, but helping one person come to Christ, helping one person, uh, so that they're delivered from drugs, you know, you know what, whatever, whoever you can reach is important. Whoever. Whoever. And so the Spirit of God was poured out for various reasons, and one of them is that we would allow him, you know, to use us to speak to whomever to speak to whomever. Well, that's what I had tonight. A little different. Let's uh, sing one hymn in closing. So I hope that you're encouraged. See, because, you know, I, I look around here. I look in, in downstairs when we have class or you know, the, the Sunday school teachers. And I remember I went down to Guatemala four times. And, you, you know, when you go on a mission field, you learn some things, you see some, see some things. And <clears throat> there were pastors that came to the conferences that we held, and some of them were only saved for a couple years. They got saved, and some of the, the fa their family members got saved, and they started a church in their home to minister to them and to some of the people in their neighborhood. And here they are, they're a Christian for two years, and they don't even know much of the Bible, and they're struggling and struggling to learn something so that they can take something back to these people and give them. And, and I'm, I'm there thinking, I come from this church, and almost every single person, every single person here today, every single person, knows more about the scriptures and has learned more and has heard more than some of these pastors who are pastoring. So don't tell me that God cannot use you. Don't tell me that, because I know better. 
say, don't tell me you don't know enough. Don't tell me you don't know the Bible. Don't tell me that because you know more and you have heard more than many people I've met that have responsibility on the, on the mission field. So, you know, I'm saying that not to condemn anyone. I'm saying that to encourage you that you have something there the Lord has put in you. And if the opportunity arises, share. Share. What's the, what's the, uh, he brought me out of the miry clay. Four seventy six. Tom, could you uh, help lead that for me, please? My voice is starting to crack a little. 476. Let's let's sing the uh, first, second, fourth, and fifth stanza. Go ahead. 476. You know that? Okay. My heart was distressed neath Jehovah's dread frown. And lo, in the pit where my sins dragged me down, <clears throat> I cried to the Lord from the deep miry clay who tenderly brought me out to golden day. Verse 2. He placed me upon the strong rock by his side. My steps were established, and here I'll abide. No danger, here I remain, but stand by his grace till the crown I gain. Fourth stanza. I'll sing of his I'll praise him to all men, his goodness shall see. Sing of salvation, home and apart, till many shall hear the truth and trust in God. Five, tell of the pit, its gloom and despair, I'll praise the dear Father who answered my prayer. I'll sing of Then join the chorus with the saints above. He brought me out of my clay. He puts a song in my soul today, a song of praise, hallelujah. I like the fourth stanza. I, I'll sing of his wonderful mercy to me, and it is true. God has really been merciful to us. 
I'll praise him till all men his goodness shall see. I'll sing of salvation at home and abroad till many shall hear the truth and trust in God. Okay, thank you.